I miss a green, for example. I'm already upset. When I find my ball in the bunker, I'm really upset. And when I find my ball in a fried egg. Fried egg. The dreaded fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg. Fried egg lie. I'm about ready to run off the golf course. Welcome back to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. Today's episode is a, uh, a little different one. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this one. I, I had a lot of fun putting it together. Um, I am making my first trip over to Scotland. Uh, it will be the first time that I see the old course, and I, I can't couldn't be more excited. I uh, as we get closer and closer, one day out, I uh, I can't wait to get on the plane and get over there and. You know, the Open should be a ton of fun. But for this podcast, we, uh, over the last few months and, you know, a lot in the last week, I have, uh, I've called up some people, uh, or when I've been with them, I've asked them, you know, a question, you know, what brought you to the old course the first time? Um, and what were your impressions the first time you played the old course or were at the old course? So in this podcast, there will be a collection of short stories centered around those questions. And they, the participants, thank you to all of them for uh, giving me a little slice of their day. Uh, Tom Doak, Gil Hans, uh, Michael Clayton, the Australian golf architect, former European tour player and um, golf writer also. Zach Blair, PGA Tour player. Shane Bacon, uh, the great golf channel announcer and uh, host. So he also caddied at the old course uh, for a part, portion of his life, which is pretty neat. And then uh, James Duncan, who is uh, who worked a long time associate with Corin Crenshaw. He's uh, a really great guy. We've got a future podcast uh, coming out after the Open Championship with James. So that'll be the first time you hear his voice on this podcast. But a, uh, a, a wonderful golf architecture and golf mind in general. So those are the guests. Uh, this is all about the old course. I hope you guys enjoy, and uh, we will see you this week. I've got we've got some really neat stuff planned for the Open Championship. So so be on the lookout for more pods and articles on the thefriedegg.com. I'll I'll post a post something with my first impressions of the old course on. Uh, on Monday or Tuesday on the website after I uh, I get out there and walk. I can't wait. And uh, without further ado, here is golf course architect Tom Doe. The first time I saw the old course was when I was 15. I went over with my parents um, and my brother. My dad worked for Unilever Lever Brothers in the States, which was part of Unilever, which is a Dutch and England-based company. And the job he did was important enough that he would go over to the European headquarters like once a year to just discuss strategy and discuss what the U.S. office was doing on buying commodities. So, you know, by then we'd, I, I, you know, we'd gone to Pebble Beach and Pinehurst and places like that on family vacations. But, you know, my parents thought, oh, let's 
you know, let's go to Europe. So we spent three days in Scotland. We spent two or three days in London on business. And then we went to Holland for, for three or four days. Uh, so I played the old course as a 15 year old with my parents and my brother. Uh, and at that time, you know, I, I mean, I, you know, I knew about the road hole. I knew about this, the same sort of basic knowledge of it that everyone would have. Um, and, you know, probably the two most memorable things were, you know, one, if you get in bunkers, you're really screwed. And two, if you don't get in bunkers, it's a very open golf course and you can get around it just fine. You know, there's, there's kind of some tricky contours, you know, some of the little up and over type shots you might play on some of the holes. There are almost like mini golf in terms of just oof, <laughs> up over something. And then the ball is going to keep going past the hole, no matter what you do. Um, but, you know, not enough to, you know, it, and it was, it was a super busy place was the other thing, but you know, it was hard not to fall in love with the town and just everything about the town, even though the town experience is really very different. You know, when I lived there, the two months I lived there was also the middle of the summer and the town's very different in the summer when it's mostly tourists and the university is not in session. And, you know, if you go there in the fall or early spring and the university's in, it's kind of, it's very different. How is it different? Uh, to, is it just like, it, it, would you compare it a little bit to Traverse City in the, in the off season versus the in season? Yeah, I suppose. Yes. I mean, in, in the summer, you know, you just hear a lot of, it's, it's not only Americans that are going there. You get people from all over the world, but you can't help but bump into other Americans and, and you tend to chat up other Americans and, and generally you meet mostly Americans instead of, except for your caddy. Uh, whereas in the rest of the year, you're typically going to interact more with the locals and the people from the UK. And, you know, so just, entirely different conversations. That's interesting. It's uh maybe that's a that's a, a, a sneaky piece of advice is for a more authentic experience go go off season. Yep. It's uh Yeah, and you don't have to worry about the ballot so much either. I mean, you know, it's really hard to book a tea time in the old course in the middle of the summer now. You you, you either have to pay a lot of money to somebody that has an in or not you just go go there for several days and hang around, you know, and play other courses around and take your chances in the lottery every day until maybe you get on. And here is James Duncan, uh, who works for Core Crenshaw. Has worked for Core Crenshaw for a long time. Is uh, Danish and Scottish, and spent a substantial time in Scotland himself. The first time I went. Um, I was a student living in Copenhagen and I had s arranged somehow to go to Scotland um, for a few months to do an, an internship at a company that consulted on golf courses. And somehow I, um, uh, my professor had signed off on the paperwork to say, I'm not quite sure what it is you're doing or why you want to do it, but you seem to be pretty keen. So go ahead. We'll call it project management. 101, right? Some class that you could get credits for uh, to go and do an internship in Scotland. And this company um, consulted with golf courses. They were a branch of the Scottish Agricultural College. 
Uh, and they, when I arrived, they said, here's what we'd like you to do. See that green Ford Taurus in the parking lot? Here's a diesel card. Go fill it up, drive around and visit as many golf courses, meet as many superintendents, secretaries, people in golf in Scotland as you have time for. Find out what kind of problems they have with golf course maintenance, operations, and write a report and come back to us. I mean, so that was um, such a um, an opportunity to go around, crash around Scotland, um, and see as many golf courses like as I could. And of course, St Andrews was high on that list. And a friend of mine uh, from Copenhagen was in. Um, he's a petrochemical engineer. We were both engineering students. He was in. He was chemical. I was um, civil and structural. He had come to Dundee, right by Carnoustie, and he wasn't a golfer, but. I was going to show him St. Andrews. You know, let's go to St. Andrews together. And we went down there and we picked the week where they had the uh, Jubilee Vase tournament, which is one of the big amateur events they had. And it was such a neat way to see the old course uh, for the first time. Yeah, I read about it and all the books and all that stuff. But to see it firsthand while top amateurs were playing it was just a, a very special occasion. And since then, I haven't missed a chance to go back. With St. Andrews, the first time, so you were watching these amateurs play it in the Jubilee, and what was the one thing that stuck with you the most from that first visit to, to the old course? The old writers will talk about the keenness of the turf, you know, the fescue, burnt-out fescue turf. I think that, to me, was the most striking, like this, the firmness of the ground, the, bay, the way the ball would run on the ground, just the look, the, the, the true links conditions. And mind you, this is in 92 or 3 or something like that. So, you know, it was, um, it was just authentic golf uh, in, uh, as I had imagined it and you finally had a chance to see it. And to watch these guys, you know, again, just like you see it today, I mean, how you have to work your way around the course and make up shots and deal with the conditions, deal with the different bounces and situations you're getting. It was just, it was magical. All right, here is Golf Channel's Shane Bacon and former caddy at the old course, Shane Bacon. I was actually studying abroad in London. Uh, my junior year of college at University of Arizona, I was studying at a, at a school called uh, University of Westminster. And uh, I didn't have my golf clubs. My mom actually flew over with my golf club shout out to eliza b she came over to see you know experience london her and my aunt came over we went to bath we went to stonehenge but she traveled with my golf clubs also maybe the only time in the history of golf where she did she put iron head covers on their irons because they were brand new irons and i was actually happy to see iron head covers but she brought the the clubs over and about uh three four weeks later my uncle doug who uh, is one of my best friends, uh, you know, my dad's brother, unbelievable guy, one of the people I've probably played the most golf with in my life. He flew over, and we did the whole London experience, Then we both went up to St. Andrews. And um, we had a tea time at the old course. We stayed at a little bed and breakfast in town. The guy that had owned it, his name was James Yule, and he took us out. He was a member at the new club there that kind of, you know, borders the 18th fairway. And uh, we had a great day. We played, uh, obviously played all 18, beautiful weather. And uh, I was instantly in love with the place uh you know i was still in college i didn't know anything about architecture anything about 
golf courses and not a ton about golf history outside of just what I'd read in my you know youthful days. But I was hooked. Actually, a funny part of it was I think two or three days later, we played Kings Barnes one day. We played the new course. We had Carnoustie on the schedule. We woke up and it was awful outside, raining sideways, cold, windy. And my uncle's like, I'm not playing golf in this. You know, you're going to Scotland, right? You're you're playing weather. You're playing in all weather. And um, he wanted to bail on Carnoustie. So I went over and snuck out on the old course again. And I ended up playing with uh, with three guys from from Denmark. Uh, I chipped in for Eagle on 10, which was like the highlight of my trip. So uh, my first experience at the old course is actually two rounds around the old course unexpectedly since I thought I'd be playing around at Carnoustie. If, uh, you know, if you can think back to that first trip after your round, was there anything in particular about the place that resonated with you uh, that stuck with you? Um, the, I thought uh, I was shocked at how flat it was. Um, and, and then what's interesting is now kind of going back a few times and seeing the sunset over all the mounding, you know, on those fairways, you realize it's not flat at all. But relative to a lot of kind of the championship golf and the places we know stateside, I mean, you think about the Masters, which as a young person, right, the Masters is kind of the end-all, be-all, what you watch and what you love, and all the mounding and movement. I just remember walking off thinking, man, this place was flat. Uh, I I fell, I remember I fell in love with the par fives, you know, for whatever reason, the par fives kind of stuck with me. I just thought they were so cool and so unique and so different. They required so many different types of golf shots. Uh, you know, you think about 14 now, especially with modern equipment from the tees that were the old open tees, you probably couldn't even hit driver, you know, with with any helping wind at all. But you could take it down another hole. I, I just thought it was like a controlled chaos in a way. The whole golf course was so controlled in terms of the chaos. But I, I just remember I walked off and we were sitting up there having uh, like a 10 ounce beer after uh, with James. And I remember, you know, looking out in the fairway, just thinking it's pretty flat from one to 18. Like you, you don't go up and down much, you know, your stair stepper on your Apple watch isn't telling you you climb any flights. I, you caddied out there and I, I'm, you probably shepherded a lot of, uh, first timers around. Is there something that you remember? Um, you know, is there something that seemed to be a consistent theme from first timers out there? Was it, you know, I I've heard from a lot of people, uh, you know, if you don't have a caddy, you have no no clue where the hell you're going. <laughs> Just zero clue starting on about three, you know, if you don't know what you're doing. Um, I, I would say, you know, one of the things that was hard to sell to the player, but they would almost all buy into and then eventually love doing is the putting from well off the green and the bump and runs from well off the green. I mean, you get a lot of American players that were obsessed in love with their 60 degree and from the jump, right after the first hole, because you can't really hit a bump and run on one because of the burn. But after the first hole, you know, all day it's, it's let's use putter, you know, let's use six iron, let's use hybrid, those types of things. And it normally took till about eight or nine until the player really bought in. But when they'd eventually buy in, the misses and the bad shots were so much better. So I would say that was probably the number one thing to try to sell to the player. And everybody was, first of all, I mean, I was 23. So they're looking at this 23-year-old American thinking, what the hell does this guy know? And so I was trying to minimize the doubles. That was always my plan. Let's not make six. We can putt this and make five. It's amazing. If if more people just, uh, if you have a good caddy that can get you around a golf course, like you, you end up doing a lot of things you don't want to do, but then you look at your scorecard at the end of the day and you're like, oh, 
they they knew what they were doing. <laughs> you know, it's you know for the higher handicap, it's just like just let's just minimize the the disasters. And the, and the bunker, um, and I'd say one other thing, Andy, was um, when you hit it in a bunker, which is inevitable, obviously, around the old course, unless you're Tiger in 2000, I mean, you're going to find yourself in sand talking people out of trying to be a hero. And the funny thing is, it's not, you know, not right against a lip, uh, you know, on, on a really layered bunker. It's the sand's different. The feel of what you're having to do to get out of it is different. The amount of swing you must put into a short shot is different. And a lot of people, mid-handicaps, high-handicaps, tried to be heroes out of there. And I would just consist- consistently tell them, if we just get it back in grass, we can play from here. But let's not try to be a hero. And again, that would typically start to happen about 9 or 10 when they go, okay, fine, I'm sick of hitting three shots out of the bunker. I'll start to believe you. Today's episode is brought to you by The Fried Egg and The Fried Egg Pro Shop. Uh, we have long sleeve T-shirts, regular T-shirts, And then we have some head covers, all sorts of goodies from Seamus Golf, all with the Open Championship in mind. We have a a logo, uh, a little play on the road hole bunker. So check those out at proshop.thefriedegg.com. They're really neat. I can't wait to get my T-shirt and head cover. And uh, now here's former European Tour player golf commentator, writer, and golf architect Mike Clayton. I qualified for the 1984 Open there. So Steve Williams was caddying for me. I had a I birdie, I think I birdied five of the last seven holes at Leaven to make it. So I turned up at St Andrews. We're, Wayne Grady, Ian Baker Finch, and I were sharing a house. So Grades and I missed the cut. But we went to, we went to bed on Saturday night thinking that this guy in the next bedrooms might win the Open tomorrow, which of course he didn't. But it was a pretty amazing week. So I, you know, I loved the history of the game, but it didn't strike anything with me at all. I just went there and I didn't understand the course. I made 32 pars, tripled the second hole and made three bogeys and missed the cut by about three. You know, I just, I didn't get it at all. I didn't think it was a bad course or a great course or I was just a typically dumb you know, mid twenties golf pro who just played golf. Do you think? Do you think you thought that way because of your uh, because you were playing it in a professional setting? Yeah, and I the only, the only times on I've, I've played three opens there, and I think you kind of miss the fun of it because you're playing. I mean, I would I, I much more enjoyed the opens when I went there when I wasn't playing. Although, of course, I wish I would be would have been playing, but. You know, it's great fun to go to an open and enjoy the week without having the, the stress of playing in it. But of course, playing in it's the ultimate, so you want to play. But and I and I really enjoyed playing in it. But um, I didn't really get to understand the golf course until, um, well, not that anyone ever really fully understands it. But when I started to walk around it um, and read about it and write about it and think about it and realize how great the holes were because when you're playing you're just trying to play you're trying to get the ball in the hole and you're not standing on the 13th hole thinking this is one of the greatest long par fours in golf you're just trying to avoid the bunkers and get on the green and get out of there so um you know i i remember going there with peter fowler simon owen and i we, we were playing the senior 
tournament at Fairmont up the road. We had we had we finished dinner early one night at the house, and we we said, "Sid, take us down there and show us what happened in 1978." So he took us down to the 16th tee, and he walked through. He and Nicholas playing the 16th hole, and where he drove it, and where Jack drove it, and you know what happened on 17. Because Simon was a shot in the lead. He, he chipped in at 15 to go a shot ahead, and he said. We walked onto the 16th tee and Jack just stared me in the eyes and basically said to me, you can have this thing if you're good enough, but you're going to have to play me the last three hours. Good luck, son. And he said, I just completely fell apart. He said, I was just, there was no way. I, he was always going to beat me. But so, you know, that was kind of a cool experience. But, but just walking those holes and thinking about why they're great and the, the questions they ask and the multiple ways of playing them and how they change in the wind and how much different the shot is from one side of the fairway versus a shot from the other side. and You know, it's the model for every course, really, I think. You know, and it, it, shows, it shows why bunkers in the middle of the fairways work so well. It shows why out of bounds is a great hazard. It shows why bunkers are great when they're a one-shot penalty and to be avoided at all costs. Yeah, and they're just great holes all in one place. It's incredible. And then 18 is the best place to, it's not the best hole, but it's the best place to finish a round of golf. And I think you miss all those things when you're playing. As Tom said in that, you know, the podcast you did with Tom, the best way to see the old course is to walk it on Sunday when there's no one out there. And I've often done that and, and, and gone there late at night, go out there at, Eight o'clock at, or, or nine o'clock at night, and walk around it when there's well, there's always people out there, but when you're not worried about balls flying around your head. So that's the you know the great lesson of the old course is it's probably the best course in the world, but you could never build it now. There's no chance that you could one if you built the seventh hole, they think you were crazy. Built bunkers where you got to play out of backwards, they think you were mad. Built holes with out of bounds hazards all the way down the right. Um, you know, holes where you play, you know, the seventh hole plays over the, well, well, the 11th plays over the seventh. You know, it's just, you know, the legitimate second shot at the 14th hole straight down the fifth fairway. I mean, there's so much stuff that you could never get away with now. I mean, there's no chance they'd be playing the 18th hole in Australia right now. That hole, that hole would have been shut years ago by shop owners complaining about balls going through their windows. Yet, that is what it is, and they're going to be playing the whole, you know, 200 years from now, they're going to be playing, well, as long as the sea doesn't go over the, over the golf course, they're going to be playing that hole for 200, you know, 200 years from now, and the shops will still be there, and the, the road's still going to be there, and there won't be a fence there, and the green will still be where it is, and golf just in, interacts with the town. Yeah, so you uh, you illuminated something that you know with your answer. I didn't even get to ask the question because you you went right into it. Like you know, what did you take away? You took away nothing, which I think I feel like for some people that happens for some golfers that are. And I think it you, you know you when you're playing competitively, you're playing it open. Like all you're worried about is like golfing your ball, and I think that's you know what most golfers worry about is they they're just thinking about scoring and and getting the ball in the hole. Well, I think Gerald Micklem, the old great RNA guy, gave Faldo a, you know, a long dissertation written of how to play the golf course and what to study and what to think about. And Faldo probably knew that course 
in relation to his contemporaries better than any of them and, and, and understood how to play it better than any of them. And Tiger, you know, I think understood it, aside from the fact that he was the best player, understood how to properly play that golf course. Now here's PGA Tour player Zach Blair. Uh, the BYU golf team and some of the boosters kind of take an international trip every four years, I think. And uh, that year they were going to Scotland. So um, we uh, rolled over there and saw a bunch of cool places. That's So it's like you're once uh, – everybody. it's like you're once every four years, so everybody that plays on the program for four years gets to go on like a cool international trip. Kind of missions sometimes kind of throw it off. So someone could maybe get two or maybe not go on any, but uh, yeah, yeah. Theoretically it's kind of once, once a, you know, one time each for when you're in college. Um, what other courses did you see other than the old course? Uh, played North Berwick a couple of times. Um, trying to think where else we played. We played like the castle course and we played the Renaissance club where they have the Scottish open. Are you um, sure it's not the Rena- Renaissance? It might be that for sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> trying to think we played the new, at, you know, the new at St. Andrews um, played Carnoustie right off the plane and got, you know, got killed basically. I've, I've never played good there ever since then. Um, and then I, I actually didn't play the old course. A couple of the guys on the team, like, you know, went out and did the whole lottery and waited all night. And I think at that point in my life, I was kind of like, so nah. you didn't play the first time you were there. No, we went around and, you, you know, I, I, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of like me and Ryan Smith, uh, relay racing on 18, jumping over this, you know, the burn and everything like that. Um, yeah, but I didn't uh, play. Whoa. So second time, like, so the first time I went to play the old course was during the Dunhill. So that, so your first time playing was in a competition. Yeah. What, what, you know, what were your, what were your, I mean, did you have any takeaways from the time that you were out there? You didn't play. Um, and then what were your takeaways after the first time you played? Like, what was the one thing that kind of stuck with you the first time you played it? And was there something that stuck with you when you were in town, but didn't play it? I mean, the first time that I was there, you know, it's a park on Sundays. Um, you know, so you're just like walking around and people were having like a picnic in the road hole bunker on 17, like in know, the bunker. Like, yeah. Like dogs everywhere. <clears throat> um, you know, so it was cool to just see all that stuff. And I think this was, you know, pre understanding or having any sort of, um, you know, ideas about golf course architecture, you know, you obviously knew that it was a cool place and, you know, you understood the history and it had a lot of, you know, big golf tournaments and, you know, was the home of golf, but, uh, you know, didn't understand it from an architecture standpoint that first time. And then the first time I played it during the Dunhill, I mean, it was just like, you know, I think we played like a bunch of practice rounds and we just kind of kept looping around and just seeing cool stuff and walking around. So, you know, obviously a pretty neat place and kind of one of those places that it seems like the more you go around it and the more you see it, the more you play it, the more you kind of understand and learn and see new things. And it's kind of that, uh, endless journey of, uh, you know, finding new stuff every time you go. So the first time you played it, 
what what is there anything that's kind of etched in your brain from that that experience i would say the first so i missed the cut uh both times i played the dunhill so i only played it once i think each time during you know during the actual tournament and i'll just never forget the first year i played it it was like straight down you know going out and then straight in you know coming home and it was just like you know there are certain holes and bunkers and you're just like i don't even understand like why they would have that there and then playing it the next time and being like straight in going out and straight down coming home and then being like okay that that's why that's why that bunker's there i'm i'm talking like hitting drives like 200 yards into the wind and hitting drives like 450 downwind you know it's just like it never never ever stops um so it was pretty neat you know getting both sides of that and you know just seeing how much the course can change and how different it is whether you're playing in or you know in or down um so that that'll kind of always stick with me now here's golf course architect gil hance I was really kind of surprised. I thought it was going to have a lot more undulation, big ups and downs, and the the contours and the undulations are much are much more human scale instead of a big scale. So I, I, that surprised me. And then, uh, secondly, uh, how many blind tee shots there were, which I actually kind of like, and that that has uh, we've been criticized occasionally for having a lot of blind stuff in our golf courses, but I think. Having seen that the first go around, um, and and also just not really knowing where to hit it, you know, you've got two fairways wide, and you just all right, what's the best angle? And having had the opportunity to play there more frequently, um, you learn there are different ways to play each hole depending on the weather. But yeah, it's a little bit of not really knowing where to go, and then the the scale of the the, the contours. What's good about human scale undulations as opposed to like bigger? landforms and land movements yeah I, I think it's nice to have a variety of both but i think it's one of those things where you just feel more comfortable like you the the contours feel more manageable and maybe more conducive to shot making because you feel like okay i might be able to manage the scale or how a ball is going to react off of that slope versus i'm not sure what it's going to do off of something that's you know 15 feet above my head and how much that's going to come off. So I think it, in my mind, it opens up a lot more possibilities and a lot more creativity when it's at a human scale versus the much bigger stuff. More manageable walk too. Definitely. Yeah. Great walk. It's, uh, Unless you're playing the back tees and you spend half your round walking back 40 or 50 yards. You can see other courses. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You get to see a lot of the new courses. Yeah. Thankfully, I never have to worry about playing those tees. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Fried Egg Podcast. This one was edited by Meg Atkins. She had to do a little bit more than my usual episodes. But Meg, thank you for all the hard work and putting this episode together. And uh, thank you guys for listening. As a quick reminder, with the Open Championship here, uh, go sign up for the Fried Egg Newsletter. Will Knights and others, mostly Will Knights, will be pumping out daily newsletters about the Open Championship. So you can sign up on thefriedegg.com. Just enter your email in there right at, right at the front, and you will not miss a beat this week. 
or any other week going forward. Thanks, and we will be back uh, on Sunday with our preview podcast, previewing the 150th Open Championship. So thanks, and we will talk to you soon. And we've got a really, uh, really cool Open Championship week planned out. So look for another pod midweek that week, and I, I think it'll be a fun one. Thank you.